you can unconditionally love someone before even meeting them, which I, I didn't know was possible. And then as soon as I was pregnant, it was just like, yeah, I just felt it was just such a powerful emotion, um, which really took me by surprise. And she wasn't even, you know, she wasn't even there yet, really. Yeah, that was like amazing. So just that, that, the strength of that love. To just have this little person that you're looking after and that you love so much. Yeah, it's just so, and, and that just, just we're, we're together all the time. You know, she's like my little best friend. Um, it's just such a special relationship that I, I don't think I can even really describe it properly, but it's just, yeah, it's the best thing. Welcome to the RMA podcast. host Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. Today I have a really special guest with me, Kelly McManus. I talked to Kelly about her journey to motherhood. You see, for Kelly, it was a really hard, long journey. Kelly has undergone nine rounds of IVF over the past eight years to conceive her beautiful daughter, Neve. I've known Kelly for quite a while. She's been part of the Sydney running scene. We've often met each other at events and I've followed along Kelly's blog, Kelly Runs and Eats, for quite a long time and also over on Instagram. And I was so excited when I finally saw that Kelly was pregnant with her first baby. After following Kelly's journey through her pregnancy as she ran and walked and hiked her way in beautiful places, it was just a blessing to see that she had given birth to her daughter, Neve. And I wanted to talk to Kelly about what that experience was like for her after such a long IVF journey to conceive her beautiful girl and also the ins and outs of what that meant for her emotionally, physically and spiritually along the way. Kelly has beautiful insight into this journey. She still shares on her Instagram, Kelly Runs and Eats, but this time now she has beautiful Neve to share alongside. I hope you get a lot out of this podcast. I know a lot of women in our community also struggle with fertility, so I thought this would be a great topic to cover. And I thank Kelly for letting us share in her journey to motherhood. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Kelly McManus. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au 
Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocrem at your local pharmacy. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me on. You're welcome. I've known you for quite a long time now. In fact, probably, you know, oh, I would say up to like the last eight years of my running journey. Um, okay. yeah, probably when I first kind of met you. Yeah. Mm. And it was sort of running the streets of Sydney in different mm. races and yes. I'd, I'd look over and there you were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'd have a little chat and, um, and then obviously, you know, following your blog, Kelly Runs and Eats and, and your journey online and your running journey. And yeah, I just found you a beautiful, inspirational woman. And I loved following along all your adventures. Um, and your journey has been long and we'll be definitely yes. talking about that. Um, okay. But the reason I wanted to have you on today was to discuss not only your journey to motherhood, but also your mm. running journey, because mm. we love to talk to all women from all different parts of Australia, all different walks mm. of life mm. about their running journey. And not just those that are the pointy end of running, but just everyday women like us mm. um, and how we uh, came to running, what we've learned about ourselves, what running mm. gives to us and what, you know, how we can use running to inspire our children. So, mm. You've come full circle in this journey um, since yeah. I met you the first time. So do you want to just give the listeners a little bit of insight into Kelly? Um, yeah. Where did you grow up and how did you get into running? Okay. Uh, well, my name is Kelly, <laughs> obviously, and I'm from Sydney originally and I've always been pretty active. Um, I did do some running growing up. I doubled in um, school athletics and little athletics and stuff like that. Um, but got into running um, sort of just as I was leaving uni uh, because I'd uh, been playing a lot of sport all the way through school and through uni and was just about to leave and, and wanted something else to kind of, um, a way to keep fit, I guess, um, since a lot of organised sport that I was doing was about to end, you know, yeah, netball and like playing tennis for uni and that kind of thing. Um, and so I just got into it that way and it was... Um, I, I picked up um, one of my brothers had some copies of Runner's World lying around and I happened to sort of pick up and start reading a few copies whilst I was at his place and then I thought, oh, okay, running could be something good to try in terms of actually just going for a run rather than when I did athletics. It was yeah. I ran to warm up and then, you know, sprinted and then that was, that was it. Um, yeah. And, yeah, he actually took me on my first run, which was a loop around Centennial Park. Um, and so I think that was about 2001 or something like that. So that's how it started. Um, yeah. And what did you think when you did your first run around Centennial Park? Was it hard? Oh, yeah. It? Yeah. I, I thought it was hard. I was just like, oh, what is this? Um, <laughs> I was out of breath and, and it felt like it went on forever. Um, and it was not unlike when I had done athletics and I used to warm up and I actually hated the warm up. I hated going for a run around, you know, whenever we were told to so we'll go and do two laps of the oval or something, I would hate it because it just felt hard, yeah. uh, which is kind of ironic given I, I did like to run, but I just liked to run fast and for it to be over and done with very quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, so, yes, I did find it hard, but then uh, I sort of also enjoyed it at the same time and persisted. <laughs> yeah that's really interesting because I mean I can relate with that like 
and even now, like sometimes I'm just like, oh, it's going to be hard. But <laughs> yeah. There's something about the hard stuff that draws us in somehow. Yes. Like, yes, so what was right. it about running for you that kept you going? I think, yeah, I agree. It was challenging. So it was like, oh, here's a challenge. Let's try and get better at it like you do with many, many things when you're a beginner. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also kind of just started to appreciate it for the sake of it too um, in terms of just going out and getting some fresh air. And um, I liked that I, I noticed a difference in my fitness as well And um, because I did carry on doing a few things like um, a bit of like touch football and whatever later down the track and it was really I noticed a big difference in terms of being able to run around. Or even when I came back to netball just very briefly at some point, um, I just found that I was even just able to run around more easily. Uh, so I kind of just then got hooked on on how great it made me feel and the difference it was making to my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So did you join any kind of running groups or running clubs in Sydney or did you just run solo most of the time? Yeah, so to begin with I was just running solo or um, running with friend um here or there and then you know um actually i got on very early on got onto i don't know if it's around anymore but the cool runnings website yeah yep. back in the early days of the internet yeah. <laughs> it seems um yeah. but in terms of sort of real life people um i can't remember if park run came first or sweat sydney um but at some point i with a work friend um she and i joined sweat sydney um and were then running regularly out around Centennial Park and that was really fun. It was an organised running group with training sessions and that was, I just loved it. And then also similar timing, um, I started doing park run and which in itself is sort of like a running group, isn't it really? With yeah. The community that you sort of meet um, yeah. and how involved you, you can get with the organisation of it. And, and so, yeah. yeah, that's kind of, that, the, um, I'd say those two things really moved things long for me in terms of running and my enjoyment of it and getting a lot more out of it in terms mm -hmm. of a community and friends and yeah so and that seems to be a theme that like a lot of people talk about on this podcast is that yeah and I like to ask this question is that if you hadn't had that community around mm. you do you think that yes. you would still be running now oh that's interesting um I, I'm sure I would because I still also get a lot out of just going for my solo trot around the lake, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think I would still enjoy the physical benefits and, and whatnot. Um, but that's an interesting, yeah, that's an interesting thing to consider. It, it, might, it might feel very different if I had never sort of tapped into that whole community. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I just wouldn't, I don't know, it just might not. It might not have consumed my life as much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe the enablers weren't, wouldn't have been there, right? So... <laughs> Yeah, um, that's what I think about myself. I'm like, well, maybe I wouldn't have run like all these ultras or, you know, maybe you wouldn't have done an Ironman or, you know, like yes. all, all yes. the things that seem to spiral out of control when we get addicted <laughs> to running. Yeah. Yes, yes. So what was your first event that you entered? I definitely remember City to Surf as being one of the early ones. There was some like Nike 10K run around Olympic Park, which I did, um, but I guess... I'm, I'm going to say it's the city, it was City to Surf because that's I'm pretty sure that was that was it yeah and it was like yeah. 2001 or 2002 or something yeah so what was it about the running events that I mean because I saw you at quite a few uh, what was it about those <laughs> that that you, what did you enjoy about those um, 
I guess I liked the atmosphere that was created by people at an event, you know, all doing the same thing and enjoying it and having a great time. Um, I think I also enjoyed, you know, the fact of improving and, you know, seeing your times go down and so yeah. that sort of thing. And then also later combining, you know, a weekend away or going somewhere new and, and going there for to do a running event. Yes. So, you know, all those things that kind of draw you in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that is so you, like, you know, even on your blog, like you've got you've got your journey um, with running and then you've got your, like, adventures that you, you've <laughs> yeah. gone on and the beautiful places you've travelled to with running. And yes. It's interesting because um, when I look back on my own journey, I can see when I started running, mm-hmm. what running meant to me. And, you know, when I started, it was all the things like, um, you know, joining Parkrun and joining all these mm. races and getting my times down, seeing how fast mm. I could run, see how far yeah. I could go. Yeah. And yeah. now it's changed a little bit for me. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older or what, <laughs> or maybe I'm just burnt out. <laughs> but it's more changed to be like, well, where can I go? What can I see? Mm. Who can I do it with? A bit more of that experience. Like, what? Yes. How does how has running transpired in your life so far? Yeah, I agree. I think it's been a bit like that, um, where it sort of takes on the, the more you get involved in it. I think in the running scene, <laughs> um, and you make friends, and you go to different places, and you have these different experiences that you know that might branch out into triathlon or just travel. Um, yeah. I think it, it's sort of, it's become more just a part of my everyday life and even sort of part of my identity, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you're right, it is also all those things. It, it is just about participating um, or just trying something new um, mm. or or in more recent times for me about kind of affirming um, your sense of self <laughs> even yeah. um and and just feeling good about yourself like here's what i can my body can do yeah. when it's maybe not doing what i wanted to do in some other spheres of my life i've got this thing that i can still do it makes me feel good i can go out and get my get some fresh air and yeah yeah feel good about myself <laughs> yeah 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 when did you start dabbling in triathlon was that early on oh. um no that's been more recent i made some friends uh, who were either had, had just um, were just about to start doing triathlons too, or had already been for a while, and um, and they influenced me to <laughs> like using a positive influence, not, yeah. um, influenced me. Uh, so I yeah got a bike. Well, I'd always been swimming, um, so it was just about adding buying a bike and adding that in to the mix. Yeah, to the training mix, and um, and I think I just thought that it looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, um, you know, and why not? Yeah, and so yeah, that's how. So it was uh, twenty sixteen that I got a bike. So. Okay, because I mean, a lot of triathletes. I mean, I I've got a few friends that do triathlon, and mm-hmm. um, one one was one of my good friends is actually my old massage therapist as well. She was really big into triathlon, and mm-hmm. uh, she's an age group athlete, and. Oh, the training that she put in like was mm. phenomenal was that was that sort of your experience or were you more like just get in have fun and do what I can to get mm. to the race kind of thing I, yeah I think I was definitely a just well still am not that I have not that there's been any triathlons for a while but um yeah very much just get in and have some fun and participate um because I think it is the kind of thing where it can ramp up and get quite serious when you when you start spending the amount of money that you do 
on bikes and equipment um and when you start spending the amount of time that you potentially do then absolutely i can see why it can and it's totally fair enough that you get very serious about it and and um want to go for all sorts of things age group um places and you know represent australia in your age group and things like that and that's you know fantastic and i think um that's yeah it's it's definitely takes a lot of dedication and time mm -hmm. I, I definitely uh, put in a lot of training when i did the iron man because you sort of have to you can't yeah really way through an iron man i guess unless you're some kind of amazing <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> um, but um but i think what i also like about it is that because you can also do very short distances it's not you know, yes about the big stuff so you can just you know dip your toe in if you like and yeah and, and there's always going to be like with like with running too there'll always be people that are at different stages and abilities and you know you, most people are just in it to enjoy themselves and, and yeah 100 you know, so. and everyone's so different i mean some people love to run really long some people love to run really short some people like to run the track some people like mm. trails like yes. there's just i mean it's there's the vast array of ways to run i mean and yes. i guess it, it boils down for most of us is that we just enjoy it and um yes if we start to lose that enjoyment that's when we kind of got to make a change i guess mm. is there any ever a time when you did start to lose that oh no not really i don't think so um that's good, that's good. No, i've just always loved it um yeah. maybe if i if i i suppose the most serious well serious sort of training that i've ever had to do was for the ironman and and i just loved it um and so i i suppose you could potentially burn out when you do things um but i don't think i can't really think of a time where i really felt that way mm, that's good mm. well one of the main reasons i wanted to get you on was to talk about your journey to motherhood some people that know you will know your story mm. um, or parts of your story anyway um, because you have been open in sharing that journey mm -hmm. um, yes. so for people that aren't aware you know you had a very long journey to conceive mm. your beautiful girl Neve who's been yes. born eight months ago yeah, um, yeah. and you went through numerous and numerous rounds of IVF to mm -hmm. conceive her so do you want to just give us a little rundown about like when did you first sort of notice that and, and I wanted to talk about IVF and your journey to falling pregnant because a lot of women in RMA have this story. Like there's uh, so mm. many women that are going through a similar road. And yeah. I thought it'd be great to hear from someone who's um, been through it. And mm -hmm. it's not always a success story either, which is what's mm. happened to you as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when did you first notice that there was a problem with you conceiving? um probably it was about two years into trying mm -hmm. um so we had sort of been together for you know four or five years and and we were ready to start trying so we did and it was yeah about two years down the track and nothing had happened um when we thought oh okay we better go and see get some help and um and so luckily we didn't have to we didn't initially um need to faff around too much because i had a, a girlfriend who was um working at a clinic and we just straight away went to the place where she worked and sort of yep. kicked off there really mm. so yeah it was a couple of years yeah okay and what was that like for you when you started that journey what kind of things did that involve um well obviously to, to begin with we we're very much in the dark about what it, about everything <laughs> really yeah. um and so it was very much 
kind of learning as we went along and having to put trust in, you know, the doctors and the clinic um, and feeling you sort of a little bit, just a little bit lost at times and very much at the mercy of, of the whole kind of procedure. Like you don't really have any sort of control over what's happening um it's, you're just like okay here we are you know we we give ourselves up to your expertise and advice and do what you've got to do and so initially it was i guess we we had some trepidation around it and our second round of that first clinic we were a little bit disappointed um which sort of put a put a a sour note on it, I guess, um, only because um, the regular doctor who was going to do the egg retrieval um, was away um, and this other doctor came in to perform the procedure and when she took a look at me before we did the procedure, she, she was like, oh, you know, I wouldn't have gone ahead. I don't think that this is looking good at all. Um, and I was just like, what do you know? Yeah. If we just been led down the garden path like our original doctor obviously thought we should go in. So anyway, we went in and, of course, we didn't get any exit cycle. So we, so we felt a little somewhat sort of jaded, I guess, by that experience. So it was, yeah, real learning, like a very steep learning curve, I guess, right from the start. Yeah. yeah. And going through IVF, I mean, I haven't had to do that myself, so I, I really have no idea other than what you've told me mm. um, on our prior discussions around it um, and a few discussions with friends that are going to go through it soon um mm -hmm. you know what kind of stuff do they actually need to do like in terms of for you and also your husband like what kind of stuff did they need to do for you to prepare you for like an egg retrieval or to be prepare you to hold a baby it's funny all the baby stuff there's there's kind of no real that sort of almost doesn't come into it at all actually because right. at the very end they sort of just um at the very end we did i did a sort of i think it was like a five and a half or six week scan last year with Neve and um and then that was it they kind of like give you your final photo of and yeah. um and hand you off but um so I guess yeah at, at the time it's really just about explaining things as clearly as possible and then just getting you started on the drugs later on down the track when we were a little deeper into the whole process and we were looking at embryo donation and egg donation there was some um like compulsory counselling sessions that they do for you. Yeah. Um, but it's really just kind of you get in there and, and once you've had, I mean, you do have, um, if it's a good clinic, they'll kind of put you through a whole lot of tests and things like that, obviously, to check out what's going on with you. Mm. Um, and then when you're ready to go, you, you go, you, you get your drugs and you start injecting and, and that's it, yeah. So what does that, is that like just injections every day for you? Yes, yeah, so there's kind of, once, you, once you get going, there's kind of two main protocols, like a short, a short protocol and a long. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of differences in terms of when you start um, injecting the, the drugs. But essentially what you're doing is you're um, stimulating your, um, uh, you're, you're stimulating your cycle so that you end up producing more eggs than your normal, just one egg. Mm -hmm. And then there's a final kind of a trigger shot, they call it, um, which is to um, ensure that the eggs are, are ready to go, basically. And then 36 hours later, they can, um, they, you're under sort of an anaesthetic and they, they go in there and re retrieve them. Um, and then so the finer details in terms of how many weeks you're taking 
um, either you know it can be depending on if it's a short short protocol or a long you might you might have a nasal spray um, to begin with there's there's then injections that you, you, you sort of um, you might be doing one and then two um, every day um, in and then find the final shot 36 hours before egg retrieval um, then often there's uh, and that, so that can be two or three weeks depending on the length of the cycle that you're doing. Um, and then there can be, there's often um, in the aftermath, you've also got to sort of get the uterus ready to receive the embryo. So you're often um, um, using pessaries as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of, um, yeah, there's a lot of injections and, yeah. Um, there's and then during the whole process too, you're being quite closely monitored. So you'd be having regular blood tests. You know, they might be every few days or once a week. Again, depending on your clinic, and mm. you'd be going in for fairly regular um, ultrasounds as well, just so they can go in there and they can look at the follicles and mm. see how things are growing. And, and yeah. just, because on that basis, then they'll say, "All right, things are looking good. Let's let's go. We'll go in a couple of days, and we want you to take your." final injection and then we'll see you or book you in for day surgery or whatever so it's yeah it's a lot of um yeah a lot of injections a lot of um appointments mm. um yeah it's almost like a full-time yeah. job <laughs> like yeah it's yeah it keeps you busy definitely keeps you busy um yeah. and you know you just kind of um, usually the appointments are first thing in the morning so that you, you know if you are working full-time you can then race off to work afterwards or you might be slightly late yeah a lot of lates but the, yeah my work was very good about that and how did that affect you like having all those injections and things and things I mean you're a teacher and yes how did that affect your body going to well um I think I was, I was one of those people who wasn't too affected by the um drugs for the most part uh, and that's just there's a whole range of um responses I guess to the IVF drugs you know some women can can go into hyper stimulation and um, and others just be feeling fairly normal and I was but every now and then I might have been um, sort of a bit headachey a bit more headachey than usual especially when I was taking the nasal spray the cinnamon there was one particular time I remember um, where I had sort of not a great reaction to the final trigger shot which made me feel really nauseated and and then you can also feel a little bit moody but you know, sometimes that might also just be um, not so much the drugs, but but the fact that you're going through an IVF cycle, and I think it's quite normal to just be feeling like all over the shop with yes. your emotions. So yeah, I, it's really different for everyone, and it's it's you don't really know until you actually go through it how you'll respond. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I, I really wanted to talk about was like, how did you cope with that emotional roller coaster because i mean you mm. went through, was it nine rounds nine. yes i mean that is yes. <laughs> so many times of just so many moments of probably almost highs and then crashing lows and disappointment mm. and hope and despair mm. back to hope like mm. how what did you do to manage those emotions was there some i mean did running help you like what what did yeah you use yeah, to help definitely. you yeah, well, so you've nailed it in terms of like all the different emotions and it being a real roller coaster. And so I guess like anything, what I found helpful was doing something like running, which reminded me that I was capable and that I could, that my body was strong and I could go out there and kind of do my thing and benefit from the endorphins and all the things that 
um, chemical things that are good about running. But then it was also a bit of a mental kind of boost in terms of just reminding me of how I can be quite capable and strong, you know, all that sort of stuff. Is that um, because you felt like you weren't strong because you weren't? Oh, really yeah, well, because my body was letting me down. Like, yeah. I, And I know this is obviously me um, being harsh on myself because it's one of those things where you, like, I had no control over it. So it's not yeah. like I could will myself to have my eggs perform better. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was out of my control really. But, um, yeah, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I felt like I was... Um, yeah, just a, a real failure, just letting myself down. Well, letting and we're kind of letting everyone else down too. It sounds and again, it's sort of like, oh, you know, don't worry about that. But of course, you do. Of course, yeah. I felt, even though the type of IVF, it's interesting because Andrew also had a, a bit of an issue with his sperm, which is why we're doing the ICSI IVF. Um, but as we went through the cycles, it was clear that my eggs were like oh time was running out of my eggs you know so even if initially i wasn't the problem so to speak mm. because the woman is the center of the ivf process like you know you've there's, you've got to produce the eggs <laughs> you know um in order to then bring the sperm into the picture and you've got to produce multiple eggs otherwise you know you're sort of you're stuck really and so it was clear that that i was just like not responding as well to the drugs and that I was a so-called poor responder and there's no real explanation for that. Like no one had any clue. Um, all the doctors were pretty dumbfounded by that. So all they can do is keep trying different things, you know, uh, maxing me out on the drugs and trying the long protocol instead of the short and all that type of thing. So, of course, in that whole process, I was like, oh, <laughs> feeling pretty crap about myself. Yeah, I mean, it's lucky you had yeah. something like running and obviously a very supportive, amazing husband to help yes. improve and surely good family and friends. But yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, at nine rounds of IVF, I mean, what? how long typically would one of those rounds have taken and, and what kind of cost does each round entail? Like, I can't imagine it's a cheap process. Yeah, no, it definitely isn't. And we're lucky that we were able to keep trying mm. um, in that regard. So, um, uh, oh, so in terms of length of time, you know, from total, from starting your drugs to kind of going in for egg retrieval and then hopefully embryo um, transfer, again, depending on how long the cycle is that you're doing, it can be, you know, sort of a month or six weeks um, from go to row, pretty much. Um, but then usually once you've had a cycle, they like you, if, if, if it's been a, a bit of a dud and, and you sort of have ended up with nothing and you want to go again, um, they usually like you to, to wait sort of a month or two, like have a, a period or two um, in between just to sort of, you know, have a break, yeah. mental and physical break. And so so that's why the time can soon add up because, and then you also, it sounds a bit weird, but you also take keep in, keep in mind things like Christmas and holidays and, you know, that sort of things like that that they might avoid or if you're coming up to the end of the year, you know. So so it sort of um, depends how much success you have and how many sort of embryos you've got as to whether you then can sort of keep um, trying to do transfers with those embryos or if you've sort of ended up with nothing whatsoever and then have to kind of mm. start again with a fresh round. So cost-wise, you can get a Medicare rebate um, so you're looking at oh, anywhere between sort of four, five, six thousand dollars um, per cycle. Again, depending a little bit on the clinic that you're with, and also how many rounds you've already done is 
in terms of how much you'd get back from Medicare. Um, and then on top of that, you, um, you'd you have some the, the drugs themselves um, that cost, out-of-pocket costs, and then your, your day surgeries um, costs as well. Yeah. Um, anaesthetist and um, the other stuff to do with yeah. all of that. So... I mean, it's a huge yeah. undertaking and, and like nine goes, like what was it like like when, you know, you went through and you've, you did all the right things and then you got mm. to the end and it wasn't successful? Like what was, how did you feel every time? Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was definitely pretty devastating. Um, it's, we, however, I guess we sort of got used to the disappointment early on. Yeah. So... Um, we and I think we went in with a with. I'm pretty sure we were fairly realistic when we started because if they're good or if you do your research, you'll know that the chances, depending on your age, you know, they're quite small. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to, for each cycle, that is. Um, so yes, it, it was you know enormously sort of disappointing and. Um, there was a lot of grief and, you know, all yeah. that kind of thing. But I guess we, yeah, we sort of, it's a little bit like, you know, willpower and how the, the more you use it, the better you are at mm-hmm. kind of having willpower or whatever. I suppose I think for us, the more we were disappointed, the better we got at coping with it and then thinking about, okay, well, what do we do next and just trying to sort of problem solve our way out of it, I suppose. Um, and yeah, but of course those moments like getting the phone call from the nurse and you know straight away because she's got that disappointed tone in it. You know, she's like, she's trying to be nice, like, oh, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah. I know already, you don't even have to say anything. I just know it didn't work or whatever yeah. or the embryos didn't make it or, or whatever the, the story is. Um, yeah, it's pretty crushing, yeah. definitely. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. <laughs> Where was it in that journey that you sort of changed, I guess, the way... They changed what you were doing um, mm. to obviously make it more successful to for where you are now. Like you know, you yeah, know. Uh, yeah. See what you mean? Um, well, we, we so we went through a few different clinics, and um, and what the, the last couple of times part of why we moved on was because we were then thinking about what are some other options. Um, yeah. I can't remember where it was and when it was exactly when embryo donation was first mentioned to us we had also researched adoption early on too yeah. um but i felt very much like i wanted to be pregnant if possible i just really wanted to experience pregnancy and birth and so forth anyway um so of course all those things were always on the table and we were discussing them and and then we, we started thinking about embryo donation because we were thinking ah well you know the eggs aren't going so well let's look into that and um one of the third clique that we were at was a place that did facilitate embryo uh, donation Mm -hmm. and we were we had the the counseling session we were sort of doing all filled out the forms and everything and we were about to go on the waiting list for that but then that was the time that we decided to take a bit of a break Mm -hmm. in general from ivf just full stop that was in 2018 Mm -hmm. and then in that year that we took off we then I can't, I can't, again, I can't remember how the conversation started, but um, I sort of thought, well, we're looking at embryo donation, you know, really, like, and I had accepted the fact that that if we were to have a child, um, that if I was to go through pregnancy and birth and so on, that 
that a child that was had my DNA like that was now kind of not yeah. going to happen, um, which didn't really, like it actually didn't bother me at all. Okay, because I, I actually asked that. Like, did it you yeah. know did it bother you? But not at all. No, surprisingly not. And I don't know why it didn't. Well, I said in this year that we had off, I said to Andrew, but, you know, I want to have my mini Andrew, <laughs> just as with yeah. the joke, you know, because you, you kind of have that romantic idea that, that you just, you know, want to have this mini version of your partner kind of thing. Yeah. But in terms of me sort of not letting let, letting go of some, I don't know, fantasy or mini me and all that kind of thing, um, I don't know. I think I just I just wanted, we just wanted to have a kid, like, mm. you know, and, and it just it didn't matter, like, and I think in, in our families, we, we, we both have, you know, fairly interesting and mixed family histories ourselves. And I think it's quite clear, um, especially in my family, it's quite clear that you don't have to be a biological parent to be a parent, you know. That's, and then that's probably obvious to any, any person out there who has any kind of any interesting um, and sort of slightly different family arrangement or, or family relationship or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I suppose you sort of have to arrive at that um, yourself. Yeah. And um, and that's something that's always always been clear to me, I suppose. And so then when I started thinking about it in terms of my, my own situation, like that's mm. what I thought, oh, well, of course it doesn't matter. And so what? Like, okay, so she, she may not have my DNA or he or she at the time may not have my DNA, but like... I'll still be my kid. It doesn't, you know, really yeah. matter. Um, so we then with so I then at some point said to Andrew, why don't we if we're looking at embryo donation, why don't we look at egg donation? Because it's the egg at the moment that's the issue. Like because we were doing ICSI, there's always a wave. So if the sperm has an issue, well, if it's the low motility, which I guess means that it's not so, so good at swimming yeah. like it's meant to um then that can easily be fixed uh in terms of the work that they can now do with ivf and um so it sort of doesn't matter we we just need an egg uh and so then we started looking into the egg donorship stuff instead um, and that's how we kind of ended up going down that path mm. um rather than embryo donation so, yeah so essentially yeah. you have an egg that's been donated um, from yes. another woman and then your husband's sperm that came yes. together to make Neve. <laughs> yes. 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 Just for those people that need a visual picture, <laughs> um, like myself, yeah. that's exactly what's happened. Um, yeah, that's what happened. It's, yeah, just, yeah, someone else's egg. Like, it's yeah. amazing. And, and how amazing yes. that, like, that that's available and that oh. someone's gifted that to your family, like, through egg donation. Yes, um, what it's a little more complicated than that, but I can oh, yeah. I can talk about that. Yeah, but yes, it is. It's a, it's totally amazing what what can be done, yeah. and we're extremely lucky. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Hi, girls. We interrupt this podcast episode to bring you a great deal from our partner, Lava Tribe Girls Activewear. Lava Tribe Girls Activewear is for the tween and teen runners, gymnasts, dancers, boxers, skaters, riders, scooteristas yogis and every girl who loves to move use code ship free rma for free australia-wide shipping on their range of crops shorts leggings and more visit lavatribe.com.au so what was it like when you got that call that said you guys are pregnant <laughs> oh that call okay oh um uh, yeah, that was pretty amazing. I already had a bit of a feeling 
um, uh, because I don't know, I suppose you just do, don't you? Um, but I hadn't done any pregnancy. A lot of women, I guess, when they're doing IVF and stuff like that, they or any form of assisted reproduction, I know just anecdotally, they kind of can't help themselves. Um, and I think probably women just generally, maybe not even just doing, just getting pregnant at home like the normal way. <laughs> you probably just think, ah, yeah. um, I've got a feeling I'm going to go and do ten pregnancy events. Um, so anyway, no, we resisted the urge, and I got a phone call from the nurse and. Um, luckily, it was one of those phone calls where straight away I could tell it was good news, not bad news. Yeah, and, um, yeah that was pretty amazing. Uh, very emotional. And um, I had to wait until, because it was in COVID times and lockdown and whatnot, I had to um, um, wait until Andrew had finished his teaching online. I had just been teaching. Well, we'd both been teaching online that day. And um, and I actually got the, it was a missed call and I had to call her back. Anyway, lots of details about phone calls. Um, it was, yeah, it was very uh, overwhelming and just joyous, I guess, yeah. 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 Was there any, like, part of you that was worried that this might not last or that it wouldn't stay? Like, Yeah, it's interesting. I, I pretty much, I always felt very confident about it. Like, I did have a few moments of nervousness and whatnot, but nothing, nothing really um, overwhelming. I, I felt, and it sort of, Sounds a bit. It might sound a bit strange, but I, I think because I knew that the donor egg <laughs> was a good egg, yeah. um, you know, she. Because when you do get a donor egg, obviously you, you there's all this advice and all, all these um, sort of regulations and guidelines and things like that. But you're getting an egg from somebody who is young, okay? Like, <laughs> so you know, you, you already have. Um, some good genetic material there yeah and so I suppose maybe that for me I just felt like well now that we've got this great egg it's it's going to work and and she and it's will be fine and um just as well uh, I was right about that otherwise it could have been another massive disappointment it was probably a bit naive of me but anyway um no I felt I felt very confident all the way through and I also kind of had this list of good omens that I was keeping too um, in terms of things that I thought were really good luck and were sort of meant that the odds were in our favour. What were some of those things? um, Things like, um, well, the fact that the the embryo transfer happened on my parents' um, 50th wedding anniversary. Um, The fact that uh, a couple of, uh, good mates who were colleagues of mine also got were pregnant. I thought that was quite nice, yeah. and, you know. And one of them um, also IVF. We had sort of been talking a lot about IVF, and so it was kind of nice that we were experiencing pregnancy at the same time. And um, and the fact that this sounds silly, but the fact that our donor's birthday was close to our birthdays, like Andrew yeah. and I, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Um, and the donor is actually Ukrainian and my godmother is Ukrainian. Wow. <laughs> so, like, you know, these things that, that anyone else looking at them would sort of think, oh, that's just yeah. a coincidence. It doesn't mean anything, but I... <laughs> so <laughs> so do yeah, you, I just, they give you all the information about the donor egg? Yeah, so you, you get... So for the way that we had it done, facilitated through our clinic, um, we did get some... We got information. Well, we had, you know, photo and, and some basic... Um, physical sort of information and family history, medical information and um, some information that she had personally shared about herself and her life. And um, so, yeah, there was some things like that 
that we got. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, that's good. So you get like it's quite comprehensive. So you know a lot about yeah. makeup and everything like that. It's great. Yes. Yeah. So when you um, found out you were pregnant, then yes. like, what did you do? Like, what did you celebrate? <laughs> I want to know what did you do. <laughs> well, I um after crying. Um, oh gosh, yeah, I I can't remember. I don't think it was it was. It was that weird, um, it was sort of the early COVID days last year. It was yeah, May. We couldn't do anything. And so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know that eventually when restrictions lifted, I remember that we did eventually go out for dinner. Yeah. And I had an alcohol-free cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> so that was nice. Yeah. Um, but, th but it was more just um, kind of the two of us being extremely happy and then, yeah. and then telling our families yeah. not too long after. And a couple of close friends of mine too. So yeah. And what great news to share with your family that you were pregnant, like after all those years. Like how yeah. many years had it been from when you started then to when you actually conceived Neve? Oh, so by then it had been about six years, I think. Six years. Yeah. So Oh no, from well that's from starting the IVF. Yeah. 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 In yeah. terms of trying it had been a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long time. Wow, what a yes. miracle. So what was it like being pregnant? Let's talk about that. Oh. Like, did you enjoy your pregnancy journey? I did. Oh, God, I loved it. I loved being pregnant. Um, I just wish I could <laughs> do it again in a yeah. heartbeat. Um, yeah, I loved it. Uh, of course, um, I felt a bit sort of sick um, early on. Um, so up until I think it was, oh, 15, 16 weeks or something, mm. um, I just felt nauseated a lot, you know, um, all times of the day. It wasn't just in the morning. Um, no throwing up, luckily, but just, yep, feeling sick and really tired. <laughs> um, first trimester, just lots of fatigue, so lots of lying on the couch and <laughs> sleeping in. And um, so aside from that, um, I felt really good. I was having a lot of appointments and things, which I, I liked uh, because I felt like I was being very closely tracked and monitored, and so that helped me feel safe, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Like, were there any uh -huh. moments throughout the pregnancy that were concerning to you at all? Um, well, I guess you would have – I sort of had the normal um, – I'm assuming somewhat normal anxieties where you kind of get on Google and you just look things up. Mm. Um, another friend of mine, actually, who was who was pregnant, um, had a miscarriage, and so then that meant that the next time I went to have a scan, I I got a bit freaked out, and I, I just couldn't help but I was sort of grieving for her, and then thinking, oh my god you know, I've been so happy. I've been sort of happy-go-lucky all this time and it could just so easily be taken away. Mm. Um, luckily, everything's fine, obviously, but that, that was a little bit of a moment of um, yeah. a bit of a wobble, I suppose. Um, and then later down the track, I had some issues with my blood pressure and um, I sort of had a bit, a bit of a panic attack, I suppose, um, driving in the car. So that was much later in the pregnancy. This was kind of a few weeks before Neve was born and um, just that was very strange. I don't, I don't even really know what started. I mean, my obstetrician said it was just the blood pressure um, yeah. that did it, but it was just sort of like this didn't really, um, wasn't really rational, I suppose. I just started, started kind of hyperventilating and I didn't even remember what was wrong with me. So, yeah, that was all. I mean, so, yeah, not really... Pretty smooth, considering, I suppose, considering everything we'd been through, perhaps I, I could have been more nervous, but but 
I don't know, I wasn't. I felt, yeah, I just felt good about it. Yeah, that's good. So what was it like uh, staying active through pregnancy? Because I did see <laughs> you remain active, as you always are. Yeah. <laughs> what did that look like for you? Um, well, it was pretty quiet to begin with. Um, in that time, that I felt very tired and a bit yuck. I didn't do much. Um, probably maybe just went for some walks. I did swim very early on and then sort of that just petered off for a bit. And then once the energy came back, um in sort of a little bit into the second trimester i was doing just lots of everything um you know a bit of running and walking and a bit of indoor sort of cycling um yeah. i did i did a little bit of surfing as well actually um uh just very i'm just very much a beginner um uh, hey I, you can get up on the board that <laughs> kind of well then fall off but you know <laughs> um Oh, uh, oh, I even did because, again, it was sort of um, coming out of lockdown times. I did a couple of beginner ballet lessons online with um, Sydney Dance Company, yeah, just for fun, again, yeah. like, just because, you know, all their lessons had gone online and they were doing some deal on their passes. Oh, but, yeah, just a whole bunch of different things. Um, running was the thing that was probably most consistent and... Um, I kept, was able to keep doing that later as I got a little bit sort of larger and um, more puffed out. I just introduced a lot of walk breaks mm. and that's how I was able to keep running. Yeah, great. So it just kept you out active and out into the sunshine. And yeah, exactly. And healthy. And yes. so how long did you run for in the pregnancy? Like up until what, what period? Oh, um, the, the day before, um, but she was born early. She was premature, so she was born at 34 plus one, so I went for my last run the night before, 34 weeks on the dot. And, yeah, but that's quite, obviously quite different to trying to run at 39 weeks or 40 weeks. So yeah. I never really got to experience the really, really sort of huge stage, I guess. But, yeah, no, all the way through it was – and I slowed right down. My, you know, pregnancy pace was pretty slow, but I was yeah. still jogging. Jogging, yeah. do that, yeah. <laughs> so, um, why was the reason that she was born early? Like, what was yeah, so, um, so I've always, I've well, for the last few years, I've sort of had um, high blood pressure, but not high enough. We did a bunch of tests a few years ago, and it wasn't really high enough to go on medication, but it was, you know, sort of mild hypertension, I guess. And then, anyway, what happened, and I'm sort of annoyed that I didn't sort of think to say more about this early on. Mm. Um, at 19 weeks, at the 19-week scan, we found out that she was very small and we then, upon further investigation, the doctor, um, it was obviously due to my blood pressure and so my blood pressure had affected the um, placenta right. and the, I guess, essentially the the effectiveness of the placenta in, in sustaining Neve. And so... Um, so basically then for, from then we had to just monitor really closely and I had to get more regular scans and um, initially they were like, oh, well, you know, we'll keep a close eye on things and it's likely she, she might need to just come a couple of weeks early because, you know, she might just get to the point um, where she just stops thriving and, you know, that'll be an issue because she's already very small, you know, yeah. blah, blah. Anyway, um, so then time went on and, and um, I, just, I monitored my blood pressure really closely. I was measuring every day and so forth. Um, and then suddenly um, it got a lot worse around, I think it was 31 weeks or so. 
yeah, started to kind of go through the roof really. So my obstetrician put me on some medication um, that helped sort of. By then, like, yeah, things were getting starting to get a bit dicey and, and essentially in the last week or so as it got, as the blood pressure got worse and my obstetrician wanted me to take more time off work, so I did, I, I kind of started to cut back a bit there. And then I went in for a scan and they're like, oh, she stopped growing and because she was way down now size of course as we know doesn't really matter that much doesn't when they come out as long as they're healthy and that kind of thing but when they're in there and they, they worry about these things so she was already kind of down in, in the fifth centile or something um and she dropped down to third something like that and um and then they said we, we need to get her out um, and she'll she'll do better on the outside than on the inside. And you know the OB had been flagging this with me for a while, but initially it was like, oh, we should be able to get to thirty eight weeks or so. That'd be really great. And then suddenly it's thirty three weeks, and she's like, right, we want to get her out at thirty four. Like, oh, yeah. Crap. Um. So that that was that was the main reason. Um. She she yeah she had stopped growing, and um and because she was already so small, they didn't want to risk her like slowing down even more and because you know you need to get blood to the important parts of you like your brain and all that type of thing um so she yeah they just decided that she needed to come out so we so i had a couple of days notice and, <laughs> yeah, I was and ask yeah. that. did you have notice or was it like whipping into the <laughs> no it wasn't quite as dramatic as like showing yeah. up for a scan and suddenly you know yeah, five know. hours later there's a baby in my arms um no it was yeah it was a couple of days um, it was still very, yeah, touch and go. I was going in for some checks at the hospital. The, I can't remember the name of it, but the one where they put the band in the tummy and they, mm -hmm. they did a check on her. So I was doing a couple of those and then suddenly it was like, okay, 48 hours we're going. Um, so, yeah, that was it. And and they had, we had always talked about, like once we knew that she was going to probably come early, it was all very much like a okay, induce or we could have a c-section let's see how we go by the time we got to sort of closer and closer um the ob was like well i think you know she's small you're older she's your first we want to be safe so we went c-section yeah so yeah that was it yeah so i wanted to ask you <laughs> two questions um mm. i didn't ask this one earlier but i actually really want to know the answer yeah. um, so the first part of this question is, what was it like when you first felt Neve move? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and you realised, wow, I'm, I really am pregnant. I can feel like <laughs> all this time. And then what was it like when she was born? So start yeah. with what was like when you felt her. When she was moving, yeah. Well, I didn't initially, um, so I think it was around 19, 20 weeks or something. Um, anyway, uh, whatever it was. Um, I didn't know what initially I felt something, but I didn't know that that was her um, because, you know, people and the OB had said, oh, it feels like this, it feels like butterflies, oh, it feels like blah, or, you know, yeah. kind of people saying different things. And then, and now it's, I've sadly, I've, I can't quite remember exactly how it felt in terms of physical feeling, but when I realised, oh, it's her, she's kicking, yeah, it was totally amazing. I felt elated and felt, um, it made me feel kind of, I think I was already really bonded to her. That's been something that I felt very strongly from the start, but it kind of made that bond feel really strong too. And um, and because she, um, I guess like a lot of babies, she, she did a lot of kicking and a lot of moving. And so it was the start of feeling very, very aware of her 
and mm. her growth and her presence and, and then of course now meeting her on the outside and knowing what she's like as a little personality <laughs> like a kind of just you know it's sort of it, it seemed that she was already making her presence felt as she does very much so now and what was it like when you were lying there i mean i've had three cesareans so i know it's oh, have, yeah. quite clinical but at the same time yeah. it's really beautiful when they lift them up and right show oh. them to you and bring them right yeah. what was that experience like for you oh, it was amazing um I, it was just the most beautiful thing um uh we, we were playing a bit of music in the background and so then when um <laughs> so when i could finally hear her because you know how sometimes you might hear them before you see them yeah before she pops over the curtain it was just like i don't know i was so happy i was so excited i thought i might cry you know when i finally met her and stuff but but i was actually too excited um and so that was amazing seeing her and she was kind of screeching her head off so it was there's no doubt that she'd arrived. And then finally when, you know, how they do the quick sort of wrap her up and put her on you and, oh, it was just amazing. It was, it was I don't know, it was sort of, it, it felt sort of otherworldly and surreal and like a dream, but at the same time very real and just like, right, this is it. Of course you're here and, you know, I've been waiting for you. And, and it was just, yeah, hard to put into words, but it was absolutely sensational. <laughs> the whole thing was amazing. Like, yeah, I just... It's amazing that they're in there and then they're out, and it's. <laughs> I know, isn't it? It's kind of weird. Like it's like, it how are you here? <laughs> look at you! Look what you look like. It's just you know, it yeah, all that stuff. And you look at them, but it felt very much like it was meant to be. You know, it was just like ah, this is right. Everything in the world is is right. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I wanted to know, like, do you think you'll go through this journey again? Yeah, that's a good question. It, I honestly don't know. Um, I'm getting old. <laughs> How old are you, Kelly? Hmm. I'm 43. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're not off me. I'm 44. I thought you were. Oh, old. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and and obviously, we would be going down the donor option again if we did. So, it's, so my age in terms of eggs is not an issue, but but um, and I feel extremely young. I feel fine, but I but. But even if you are, you know, it's still it's still risky. Yeah. Like, you know, there's no doubt it's, it gets riskier as you get older. But but more than that, I guess I don't know. It's, again, it's not. It wouldn't be so much um, finances or anything. But I guess just bigger questions about um, about what sort of sort of a life we want to provide for her and. Um, I, I'm inclined initially when she was first born uh, and we were she, she had to spend um, three weeks in the special care nursery after she was born so we were sort of going back and forth to the hospital a couple of times a day and when we were doing that um, I said to Andrew oh I just want to do this again I just oh I love her and this is great I want to have another one <laughs> like, oh, oh gosh she hadn't even like got to three weeks and you were like let's go again yeah, I even brought her home um, yeah, maybe that's uh, right. I, yeah, maybe that's right. And then the reality set. Um, no, I, so I felt very strongly, and I still would now. I would definitely love another one, and you know, just keep going. <laughs> but um, um, but there's you know there's reality and there's practical things, and also just I don't know. There's this other kind of feeling that um that, that she's enough in a way. You know, we've been through so much and. And we got what we wanted. We we have this perfect, amazing baby, 
she's like all over wanted. Do we really need to, um, to, to go through that again? It, does it, I don't know, there's things like, it's sort of, it's, again, it sounds weird, but do we risk jinxing things? Like, we've just got so lucky and so wonderful that, like, isn't that enough? That, that should be, I'm satisfied, I'm content. Why would I, why would I need to, yeah, I don't really feel like I need more. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know, it's kind of something I'm still processing, I guess. Um, yeah, Because yeah. on one level, definitely, like I always thought, you know, mm. I always thought it'd be nice to have a couple, three, four <laughs> children. Um, but then there's, yeah, there's reality and then there's also just kind of accepting, yeah, yeah your life and yeah, and I, I do really feel like how could I want more after? I've got all that I want. Like, mm, That's beautiful. No, well, it's a personal strange. choice and a decision that you, you have to make as a family and, yeah, and you'll yeah. make the right choice for you. So yeah. it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's your choice and your decision and it's what's right for your family is what's right. <laughs> so yeah. that's the yeah. end of that. What would you? What advice would you give to other women that might be going through IVF? Have you got any advice for them? Yeah. So I think. Oh, there's a there's a bit of advice. I think. Well, I think I um, I became aware recently of a Commonwealth funded website, uh, which is youriVFsuccess.com.au, which I think is good because it's a bit of a um, kind of a look at the industry as a whole and it can give you some fairly impartial information about different clinics and their rates of success and things like that because I think that it's important not to get too um, caught up in other people's stories um, and even though, of course, ironically, I'm sharing my story, but, you know, um, not to, to realise that you've got your own journey and, and um, it'll be different for everyone and um, and also not to get too sort of, like, you know, clinics, they're, they're trying to make a living and, and make some money too. So don't, don't, it's not all about the glossy sort of promotional video and the, the yeah. you know, snazzy website and that kind of thing. Like it's a business uh, and, and you just got to be wary, I guess, of that and on guard. But I think that's a good website to start with in terms of just getting some kind of basic information, factual information. Um, and then I think also, um obviously you do your research and things but um i think just on a personal level make sure that you've got that you keep doing the things that you love to do mm. the things that make you feel good about yourself like running you know perhaps that's why you're listening to this podcast because you're a runner but you just really need those kind of reminders that um there's more to life um that you that you're capable and you're strong and you can do things so that even if you know, you're, you're struggling with the drugs or things aren't going well or, you know, there's that roller coaster of emotions that you've got kind of an outlet of some sort um, that's just you and it's good for your, your headspace and also physically it's important to kind of keep active if you can, um, depending on how, yeah, again, how you're feeling with, with the medication and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's be the main things. Okay, good. I'll add that website to the show notes too so oh. people can find it. Yep, good idea. So that'll be good. All right, we always finish the RMA um, podcast with what I called the RMA hot lap, which is just five <laughs> quick questions. 
let's see how you go with your little answers. So do I have to be quick? No. No. <laughs> I mean, not an essay, but you don't have to be quick. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, short answer. Okay, okay, all right. No essays, thanks, teacher. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, what was the hardest thing about your IVF journey? Probably how long it took. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely was a long one. What yeah. does running mean to you? Oh, it means everything. Um. It means being healthy and it means fresh air, being outside, being in the great outdoors, freedom, um, time to myself, um, endorphins and feeling good, yeah. yeah, all those things. And and even though it feels not so much like it right now because of um, lockdown, um, but also community and friendships. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel there's going to be many, many more of those coming your way. Um, if you could choose to run in a race or run along the trails solo, which would you choose and why? <laughs> well, most, of, <laughs> most of my running is solo along my local trail, which is just beautiful. But at the moment, I would say a race. Normally, that is what I would say. But right now... With lockdown, I'm yeah. just itching for a race. Yeah. I, I just kind of, I just love to get out there. Um, and so at the moment, I would say a race, yeah, only because it's something that I haven't um, had in quite a while, yeah, because yeah. of the last year there was all that yeah. stuff that happened too. So I don't even know the last time I was in a race. <laughs> well, you've got to get your first, like, post-baby race happening, don't we? Yeah, yeah. that's right. We're my RMA singlet. Yeah, gosh, I mean... <laughs> When's that going to be? I don't know. I can't answer that. Oh, it's too depressing to think about. And I don't want to do a virtual race. I want to run run with people and for there to be an atmosphere and people in silly outfits and all that kind of thing. (laughs) And seeing, you know, people you know on the course and saying hi and catching up with, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah, we're all a bit, I really like that answer because I, I was thinking of the <laughs> but it's such a great perspective because you're so right. Like we haven't had mm. that and we all get so much out of that experience. Yes, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I love that answer. Okay, <laughs> um, what is your favourite thing about motherhood? Oh, yeah, motherhood. So it's, uh, so Neve, my daughter, is, is my favourite thing, I think, which sounds sort of obvious, um, but I think just that bond, that relationship um, that we have that's so special uh, and unlike anything. I mean, when you have a mother, of course, you're sort of experiencing the reverse of that. You know, you're sort of your daughter and that's really lovely and incredible. Um, but now to experience the flip side of that and, and to just have this little person that you're looking after and that you love so much... Um, yeah, it's just so, and, and that just, just we're, we're together all the time and, you know, she's like my little best friend. Um, it's just such a special relationship um, that I, I don't think I can even really describe it properly, but it's just, yeah, it's the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> so the last question, oh, actually, no, I'm going to add one in then. What do you enjoy about motherhood? Oh, I think surprised. <laughs> what don't you enjoy about motherhood? There's got to be some. Oh, what I don't enjoy. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, I did think about this the other day, and it's it doesn't really bother me. But if it is, if I did have to find an, I'd probably sound like I'm some kind of like, like oh, I'm so like toxic positivity, like gosh, am I anything wrong? Um, 
I'm definitely in the honeymoon period still. Um, if there's anything, it's definitely um, just that you're, you're obviously not as free to do things. Mm. Um, it struck me the other day, actually, I went for a walk with Neve, and at the moment, you know, we're having these beautiful winter days with yeah. so much sun and they're just stunning and we live um, on the northern beaches and so all, a lot of my walks, if I'm just going for a walk, it would be more by the beach and... I was thinking the other day, oh, I just want to go for a swim. <laughs> Would it look really bad if I left the baby in the pram? <laughs> like, Probably. Went <laughs> into the water and, and like, diving and running back to her. Yeah, probably would not be a good look. But it was the one time where I thought, oh, I used to be able to just do that. <laughs> yeah. Just jump in the water. So it's just that kind of slight little, yep. you know, restriction on, on your freedom. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what the yeah, only thing. You're, you're not alone. And that's why, like, we totally, I mean, gosh, at RMA, we, we're all for, like, the freedom. Like, take your mm. time to go and be alone and have your me time. It's important as mothers to mm. be able to refresh ourselves because yes. we are on 24 hours a day. Mostly. Yes. Oh, it's constant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Especially when they're little like that. Like, you, you yeah. do really need to allow yourself to have some me time. It's okay yeah, that's true. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because if they can't, I mean, you know, she, she can sit for a little while and do her thing, but, you know. Yeah. Before long, she needs to be picked up. <laughs> I, know, I know. Okay. The last question I had for you was: if you could tell Neve one thing you learned along your journey to meet her, what would it be? Oh, um, I was thinking about this, and I think it's just that that you can unconditionally love someone before even meeting them, mm. <laughs> which I I didn't know was possible. Um, and then as soon as I was pregnant, it was just like, yeah, I just felt it was just such a powerful emotion, um, which really took me by surprise. And she wasn't even, you know, she wasn't even there yet, really. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, like, amazing. Yeah. So just that, that the strength of that love. Yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us, Kelly. I'm sure so many women will get a lot of out of hearing your journey that might be on a similar journey or have been on a similar journey. Um, mm. So, yeah, thank you for sharing. And I look forward to seeing all your beautiful adventures with beautiful little Neve and, um, oh, and seeing you at a race soon, hopefully. Oh, yeah, it'd be great just to bump into you. I remember bumping, one of the times we bumped into each other um, was the Sydney Harbour 10. Yeah. And because it was just quite memorable because I think we were just like running under the harbour bridge or something and you were there like oh like hi and it was just yeah it was yeah it was really good and that feels like a very long time ago now <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago <laughs> but it's yeah it'd be good to to do that and to get a bit more involved in some RMA things once yeah yeah we look forward to having you having you along well what a beautiful episode that was with Kelly McManus I hope you loved listening to Kelly's story. And if you've got a similar story, you can reach out to Kelly on her Instagram, which is Kelly Runs and Eats. Next time on the RMA podcast, I'll be talking all things Parkrun with Tim Oberg. We talk about the beginnings of Parkrun. We talk about Tim's journey as well with running and how Parkrun came to Australia. Parkrun forms a pivotal part in our Australian landscape. Parkrun helps connect communities such as ours at Running Mums Australia and we're so thankful that they exist. So I thought it was time to get Tim on the podcast and talk to him about Parkrun's beginnings 
and how they're also dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic with Parkrun in Australia. I look forward to bringing that episode to you next time. For now, please stay safe and well wherever you are.